1: Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversation of the tech world and beyond. Our guest today is Chris Best. He is the CEO of Substack, an email newsletter platform that lets writers send newsletters and charge subscribers a monthly fee to get them. My Big Technology newsletter is on Substack, though I don't charge a fee yet, which I'm sure we'll discuss. Substack is also smack in the middle of the culture war, and so we'll have plenty to chat about there as well. Chris Best. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: The last time we spoke, actually with voices, not emails, was in your apartment, I believe in the Mission in San Francisco. Was that was that, that was your home?
2: Yes, it was also Substack HQ at the time.
1: Right. And it's one of these like real Silicon Valley stories like we met there 2 years ago in 2019. You guys you were three guys uh basically around a couple of computers. And fast forward two years later, you're a $650 million company, raised a ton of cash. I've left the job that I was working at to report on you guys uh, when I was reporting on you guys, which was at BuzzFeed News, and have now built my career essentially on your platform and doing this podcast. And uh, you're the biggest media story in the world, pretty much. It's just one of these wild things in Silicon Valley where like, you know, in a couple of years, everything changes. How does it feel on your end?
2: It's been an interesting couple of years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when we met that time, did you have, I mean, every entrepreneur has optimism. Um, but again, you were three guys and there was like a handful of people using you, make, starting to make some decent money, which is what my story was about. But did you have any sense of the scale that this thing was going to get at? Like if I would have told you then you'll be valued at $650 million a few years down the road, would that have surprised you? Don't tell me you expected that completely.
2: I don't know if we expected it, but this is kind of what we're what we're aiming for, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Like we sort of had a early on in, in SubSec history, before I even moved to California, we kind of had a a moment where Hamish and I were talking and we're like, hey. Hamish
1: is your co-founder.
2: Oh hey, my co-founder, yeah. one of my one Who of my I co-founders. Knew, Hamish. I knew
1: beforehand. Yeah. And brought me into your office. Yeah.
2: And we sort of had this moment like, are we going to apply to YC? Are we going to try and do this? Are we going to try and play the this YC is a startup accelerator. You know, are we going to kind of play this game? What is the, what is the scope of our ambition here? Are we building like a cool little thing, or is it something that we think could actually be transformative? And to me, the the reason to work on it, the reason it's exciting to me, is because I do think it has at least the potential to be transformative, um, which is a far cry from saying that it's a it's a sure thing mm-hmm. and I expected it and all that stuff. But I I think this is the The reason why it's it's worth working on to me is it does feel like it it's something genuinely important for the world.
1: Yeah, well, I think it's still settled uh, unsettled in terms of what Substack's impact on the world is going to be. And I think as you've grown in size, there's been a lot of scrutiny. Now you're competing with Twitter and Facebook among others. So we'll get into all that as we go through this conversation. Let's start here. Uh, You. On March 11th, had this one tweet that went kind of viral, and you've deleted it since. (laughs) Four words. Do you remember them? I think so. Refresh my memory. Defund the thought police. Yes. I saw you tweet that and thought that that was a fairly striking and aggressive thing from someone who is operating, what you know, a, a company that likes to talk of itself as a neutral email platform. So. I wanted to start there because it was so intriguing to me. It got retweeted over a thousand times. What did you mean by defund the thought police?
2: Yeah, that was, that was an interesting, interesting experience for me. I, I set my tweets to be deleted automatically after some period of time. So I think all of my tweets are, are deleted at this point.
1: Okay. Um, you have a few interesting. Up there. Do I still? Yeah. You welcoming Antonio Garcia Martinez, uh, to the platform, okay
2: yeah I to think, I think they, they get they get automatically deleted after a month or two or so okay. there's some fixed period of time
1: yeah all right so you um, stand by the tweet
2: yeah I mean I and I, I in the sense of kind of like it was something I kind of like wrote in an offhand way as I was as I was kind of like thinking about all of the ways that people seem to want to sort of flex censorship muscles on the internet and think that it's like this this righteous crusade to try to kind of shut down other people's speech and other people's ideas. That's something that I've always kind of been kind of constitutionally against, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. It feels like the wrong approach to me. And I tweeted what I is th- <laughs> certainly a a flippant formulation of that, um, just kind of off offhand without really thinking deeply about it. And it got you know, as you say, it kind of went viral and traveled the world. And some people were delighted by it and some people hated it. And I was a genius or I was this evil, look at this villain. And I kind of had this realization. I was like, oh my God, this is what it's like to like win on Twitter. Like this is what success on Twitter looks like is like the this, this stupidest yeah. possible thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, if this is the game, if this is what winning this game is, I do not need to play this game. It's so a sort of like a, a play stupid games, win stupid prizes kind of idea. I think the, the place that I've put we've put down our thoughts on this in an actual, consistent, cool-headed way, we wrote a post on the Substack blog kind of outlining our philosophy on content moderation, why we think freedom of the press is important, as important as ever, maybe more important in the, in the age of the internet and all these platforms. And I think that would be the thing that I would, I would point to and want to stand behind.
1: I think it struck a chord because, and I wrote a story for One Zero, uh pr- basically predicting that this was going to happen, um, that you would be caught in the middle of the speech wars along with Clubhouse and Spotify. And I felt that it struck a nerve because there were journalists that were starting to beat the drum of largely journalists. Maybe there were other Twitter users. I'm curious what your take is. I started to beat the drum. Of Substack needs to have a coherent content moderation policy. Some people thought it needs to take certain newsletters down. Other people were upset at you for funding some newsletters through your Substack Pro program, where you give newsletter writers in advance and they have to earn that out and they'll make a percentage above it. But essentially, it's you funding them for a year or so. And People liked that because it was some sort of repudiation to some of the reporters, I think, who were talking. And and I will say, tech media has spoken a lot about the need to moderate content on tech platforms, and there's a backlash to it. Uh, And I thought that the people that loved that tweet said, Chris is sticking it to those reporters. And the people that didn't like that tweet said, this guy is running one of the more important media tech platforms in the world right now and is falling on one side of this and basically thumbing putting a thumb in the eye of a lot of people who've put some thought into the way the internet should operate. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I think that might be a fair that might be a fair assessment. And I, I do think that in general the way that tweets become successful is they kind of if they maximally piss off both sides. If it's kind of like the worst the worst possible thing is always the thing that that is most successful. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something, you, you mentioned something earlier. You said Substack sees itself as a neutral platform. And one of the things that I wrote in that in or that we wrote in that in that our philosophy of content moderation essay is that we don't actually see ourselves as a neutral platform. Mm. We have a, a point of view, and our point of view is is basically that freedom of the press is important, that giving people a place to express themselves, letting you know readers and writers, writers and readers be in charge. Of what they're seeing is is actually a really important principle, and we don't we don't think that that is a neutral position. It's not certainly not a universal position. There are lots of people in the world who think that it's really important that every platform take a you know a what's a a, a fair way to put this a a strong approach to uh, moderating and kicking off people that that have the wrong ideas or that express things the wrong way. Um, and we just fundamentally don't police believe that. You want to defund well, stop police. Yeah, I mean, there, there. I mean, there's, there's a real impulse in the culture, and I think it, it it comes from a, it, it it doesn't come from no reason. It's not people that are. There, there, there is a real problem there. My diagnosis of this is, the first generation of, these internet media companies, the social media companies, created a like, a crazy machine. They created a machine that rewards engagement and therefore rewards like rage and hate and and awful things. And so they kind of created a machine that inexorably pulls in an awful direction. And then the answer is like, well, once things get, inevitably, once the awful things start to crop up, we have to like swat them down. And if not, this thing's going to, this thing's going to fall, fall over. And I just think that's like, that's not a solution. Like we had one problem and now we're introducing heavy handed censorship, which is really impossible to do well. And now you just have two problems. And the real solution is, is to play a different game entirely. I think the, the, there's a real problem. The instant comes from a, a reasonable place. But I, I do think that my position and, the, and Substack's position is that freedom of the press is important and that heavy-handed censorship is not the, not the right solution.
1: Okay, Chris, look, some people are going to look at Substack as this tool that's going to replace the professional media, which they say is, you know, obscuring the truth with nudes judgment on one hand and content moderation advocacy on the other. And, you know, there are legitimate complaints about what the professional media wants to cover or doesn't want to cover. But I think what many of the people, the powerful people that are advancing these arguments want is less accountability. You know, don't look into the stuff we want hidden. And to get that, you just discredit the professional press as an institution. So when they see you say defund the thought police, they're thrilled because here's Substack as an alternative. And, you know, to the professional media, they can be less accountable that way. So Chris, I want to know, how do you balance your platform's role as like a calmer alternative to social media fueled writing and news, while also not playing into the hands of these people who want to crush the press because they only want to see positive headlines and live accountability free?
2: No, I think that's a great question. I mean, the way that I think of this, I think ultimately the thing that we're setting up, that we are setting up to disrupt and to change with Substack is not the professional media, It's not legacy journalism, anything like that. I, I really do think it is the attention economy writ large. Like the thing that Substack is at the core to me is as a writer, it's a place where I can go independent. I can you know, have mm-hmm. this model where I try to earn and keep the trust of my readership. Which means that not only, you know, it's not just a different way to make money, but it's, you can do a different and better kind of work. This is why you should charge instead of having ads, by the way.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about that second half for sure. (laughs) Yeah. And
2: for, for readers, it's a, I think of it as a place to take back your mind. Right? People yeah. have this growing sense of like, oh, my God, the, the media diet I have is driving me slowly insane. And it's, some of that comes from the professional media, but it's really the root cause of it is, is the feeds, is the social media algorithms. They're calling the shots. That's determining what wins. Yeah. And people just, it's compelling. I'm choosing it, but I'm sort of, I have this uneasy sense of like, my mind is, is, is going to rot and, and it's breaking the brain. And so I think that, that is ultimately what, what Substack exists to do. There are certainly people out there who kind of look at the the manifold problems of the professional media and kind of take this approach of like institutions are awful they shouldn't exist burn it to the ground and and do something new.
1: It's I'm a very popular ideology right now and they look to Substack as one of the ways to do that. So
2: Yeah. I mean for what it's worth I'm not one of those people. Mm. I don't think that that I don't think that the answer, you know, to the extent that you have institutions that have problems the answer is not burn them to the ground and, and start over. I think that's a false, a false, like a mirage of a solution. It kind of feels emotionally satisfying, but it's the kind of thing that when you try to do it in practice is, is catastrophic. I do think that, as, as you as you mentioned, these, having these institutions is really important. Right, society can't function unless we have. A, a working professional press, whether it exists in the legacy format, or whether it exists on subsec, or whether it exists in something totally different, that that matters deeply. And so I kind of think that you know the 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 thing that's that's worthwhile doing is trying to make institutions better. And I think the two ways that you can do that are you can sort of provide actual a vehicle for actual real critique. Right, so if 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 institutions get to a a place where there's a a mode of groupthink where no one's really kind of like asking the hard questions and and making the strong case, it can kind of like lead things off the rails. Where even an institution that starts very good can kind of like descend into into madness. So having
1: having in the in the case of the press, asking some hard questions and not others.
2: Yeah, exactly. And there's exactly like there's some things that you're you're supposed to like you're allowed to. Be super critical of and other things that are that are sacred and we can't kind of question the thinking on on this or that. I think providing a space where all of it can be questioned is is valuable in itself mm. because it provides you know even when the questioning is wrong, it provides kind of like a, a corrective pressure to sharpen thinking and to have to actually like be accountable to doing the right thing. And the other thing that you can do is- no, you not, can, um,
1: Before you go to the second, not to mention heterodox thinking is courted your business's success. Because if I'm out here saying the same thing that every other tech publication is saying, I'm not making a business on that. No one's going to subscribe. And I'm not, I wouldn't classify my classify myself as like a traditional hetero-orthodox thinker. I might have a little, some different perspectives on the stuff, but like it does seem like a a platform like yours will lend itself to the hetero-orthodox where people will subscribe to stuff they can't get anywhere else.
2: Yeah. I think, I think where people will subscribe to stuff they can't get anywhere else is absolutely right. Um, And some of that could mean people who disagree with the things that you get everywhere else. And some of it could be things that are just, there's not covered. Climate. You know, like they don't exist, right? right? Emily it's Atkins' like,
1: newsletter is is a perfect example of that. She writes Heated, which is a climate change focused newsletter for listeners. Yeah, sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, you should you should subscribe to I think it's, it's, it's heated.world. It's a good one. Um and there's lots of examples like this. There's people that are covering industries that are like, there's just nobody covers this my industry well. Everybody I know wants to have something, and so I'm going to go and do it myself. I'm like, I know the industry well; I'm going to be able to do a good job of it. And then all of a sudden, there's this thing that people find valuable. So I think that is absolutely true. The other, back to the institution question. Yes. So provide, you know, sharp critique that that sharpens the thinking, makes things better. The other is provide a place where new institutions can begin. Mm -hmm. Um, so institutions are long lived, but they don't live, they don't always live forever. And and sometimes you need some renewal. And so I think providing a place where if there is a new way needed, people can try it and find it and, and, and create something. And I think there are a bunch of publications on Substack that are making a real stab at creating something new and lasting.
1: So I just want to go back to what we were talking about earlier when it comes to where what role this platform is playing because i understand that you want it to be this like sort of counterpoint to social media but you must be aware that it's become this very important place in the culture war uh especially you know the culture war that's being fought over the future of the media which is a big part of the broader culture war so so you're not going to deny that part right like even though you like to you know go to this point about social media obviously you know I don't know. It does seem like it's playing a role in this culture war, and, and it is being looked at by people as a way to burn down institutions. I mean, I read the tweets, man. That's what that's what people are saying. <laughs> that's your
2: first. That's your first mistake. If you would just stop reading the tweets, you'd be so much happier.
1: Um, that's true. No, I,
2: t- to me, this is stop all. Stop sending of a
1: piece. the tweets might be even better. But sorry, go <laughs> yes. ahead. Both. Both. Ideally. Um.
2: To me, this is all of a piece, and it's not. I don't think of this as kind of like we. We, you know, set out naively and wanting to just do some cool thing, and accidentally ended up in in the heat of the culture wars. Like we knew when we started Substack, like this is what we're doing. And to me, the you know this, my thesis here is the crazy brain caused by social media is the thing that is making the culture wars be the way they are mm-hmm. and manifest the way they do, and is causing some of the shifts in in, in how that stuff works. And so we were. Running towards the fire when we started Substack, like we knew that that was going to happen. Yeah. So I can't very well complain now that that's the case. And I would just rather be doing something that I think is positive Mm -hmm. um, rather than just avoiding it and thinking, oh, gosh, I hope this gets better on its own.
1: Yeah. Look, I happen to think it's positive overall. I like the fact that this exists. I think it's allowed me to explore new areas of my journalism that I don't think I would have gotten elsewhere. And so I appreciate that, even though I'm not, you know, running straight in line with your, your business model. But I think it is, it is overall good. I just do wonder, um, again, like we're, we're in a moment where trust in institutions is at an all time low. And is part of that the institution's fault? Yes. But is part of that also a campaign to discredit institutions by the powerful? Heck yes. And I also wonder about your investor. You're invested uh in heavily by Andreessen Horowitz. They're your lead investor. I mean, it's not a stretch to say that they have a, a real disdain for the, the tech press. And um Mark Andreessen's, you know, blocked about every journalist I know. He's blocked me. I don't mind. But, you know, again, like it's kind of hilarious to me that like, you know, I hear the corporate media is the problem, but now I'm hearing independent media might be the problem. And is it really the media is the problem? Or again, is it accountability? Because I do know that Andreessen Horwitz has had a number of investments that have, let's take the Zenefits, for example, the HR uh, benefits company that was doing a number of things that were extremely sketchy were, and were exposed by one of my colleagues, uh, Will Alden at BuzzFeed News. It was a black guy for Andreessen, which were pushing them to grow faster than they should have, which is a core component to a lot of VC business models. And so, of course, they're going to, you know, despise the media, even though the professional media, even though, like, of course, they're going to get something, they're going to get things wrong. But it's also like, well, you know, maybe accountability is part of it, too. So again, like, and and this is kind of a funny thing for me to ask, because I'm, I'm a journalist, for sure. And I'm on your platform, that again, is funded by these folks who don't have a high opinion of journalists, at least from what I can tell. So how do you think about that? And how has their thinking about the practice of journalism influenced you in terms of the way that you run your platform?
2: I certainly can't speak for them other than to say that they've been pretty great partners for us. And, you know, in terms of building a business and all that stuff, it's been, it's been actually very valuable for us.
1: Oh, they did give you a lot of money. (laughs) The money helps too.
2: Um, Can't complain. Yeah. I don't know. I guess a lot of this depends on, you know, Okay, so we all agree that there's the the media is not perfect. There's some degree of problem with it. Uh, mm-hmm. People are dissatisfied with it to some extent. How much of that is is should they be looking inwards, and how much of it is is you know a, a campaign to
1: discredit? A little of both. I would. say. I think
2: you could. Yeah, you can you can sort of like argue it until the cows come home. I think the question is, given that you're in that state, what's the way forward, right? Mm-hmm. If we need trusted press and trusted institutions to have a cogent society. And we don't have that. Um, what's the best thing? That, what's, what's the, what's, how do we get from here to there? Um, mm-hmm. To me, that's the more interesting question. And I don't think, I, 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 and this is a straw, man. I'm not saying this is what you're saying. But the answer of like, well, people should just trust the media more. And we shouldn't talk badly about them, even if they're bad. Not it's what not, I'm saying. It's, it's not going to yeah.
1: work. <laughs> I think there should be competition. I also wonder about the motivations of the people that are funding this thing. And I wonder if you do as well.
2: I can speak to my motivations, and my motivation with this is to build something new and better right. that provides a real alternative uh, for yeah. for writers and for readers. And I think that there are a bunch of people on Substack who you know have the opportunity to do the work now that they think they've always wanted to do and weren't able to in the old system. And to me, that's that's just a big win.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's such a funny position for me to be in, also. Like, it's actually really good and. Uh, cathartic to have a, this conversation with you because I understand that there, it's a complicated platform to be on, but also I think it's great. You know, it's like, uh, I really like getting this opportunity to go one to one with an audience, you know, me emailing them once a week and getting replies and understanding that there's going to be a built in audience. So. I like by default do not need a sensationalize anything to get readers it is amazing and liberating. And I think it's the way that it should be. So I like it. And, and maybe well, will, you know, I think one of the interesting things we've seen and since you guys had your rise is that every publication seems to be, you know, going all in on newsletters. Now you have Bloomberg, it seems Bloomberg uh, has every reporter doing a newsletter. Now, the information just launched a new vertical it's a newsletter uh everyone's asking what's your newsletter strategy puck is another is another one that's sort of launching in stealth now oh god i'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that but their <laughs> newsletters are out there but it's a basically like a new publication where they're going to try to get people to pay for newsletters so i agree that it's much healthier than um trying to write for the social feeds so we have common ground there for sure
2: yeah. And I think there's, there's two parts to that, right? There's the, there's the built-in audience. Well, this is where this is where, where we're going to differ, actually. There's the built-in audience where it's, you know, people have I've earned their trust enough. They've invited me to their inbox. And so if I want to write something that's not super clicky, but I think is important, I can send it, they'll get it. And the other part of it is actually having a way to get paid directly. The independence is the key and, the, and having the audience is half of that. And then having the, the direct subscription, I think is the other half.
1: Yeah. I don't think we really disagree, honestly. Because, so there's two types of currency that you can get from writing a newsletter. One is um, somebody agreeing to open it every week and not unsubscribe. And the other is someone willing to pay. And it's just, it's the same thing. It's just, you know, one step of loyalty higher. But I know, like when I write for someone, I am not writing for them, you know, to share it on Twitter and blow up and outrage people. I'm writing to say, Thank you for giving me a spot in your inbox. I'm going to try to provide value. And hopefully if I do that, you'll be back next week. And then eventually, you know, uh, the idea is maybe, maybe turn on subscriptions, but not yet. Okay. So we have Twitter and Facebook are getting in this game too, which is interesting because all the incentives of social media are opposite of that. They are essentially outrage, right? Things that are shared like crazy. Um, Let's talk about that after the break. We'll be back here in the Big Technology Podcast right after this with Substack CEO, Chris Best.
0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off.
1: And we're back here on the Big Technology Podcast with Chris Best. Yes, I met him in an apartment right around the corner from my old apartment, actually, in San Francisco. And uh, had no idea that Substack would get this big. But I did find that reporters were from our conversation making real money and maybe that sparked the initial uh, desire for me to go and, and do it on my own and uh and my has it grown so before the break we were talking a little bit about the incentive for writing that comes to your inbox for, for a writer the incentive for a writer that writes to a paid subscriber or even a free subscriber going to their inbox versus social media now facebook and twitter are getting in this game twitter with review facebook just launched its own newsletter copycat called Bulletin and Bulletin has like some very big name writers, including Malcolm Gladwell. And uh, who's the guy that wrote Tuesdays with Maury? Mitch Albom. He's on there too. Some others. Oh, and uh, yeah, anyway, we can go forever. So, but it's also a little bit weird because those of us who've been doing this for a while, the newsletter writers, we did this because we wanted to get away from the social media algorithms, not run towards them. And Facebook's pitch and Twitter's pitch, I'm sure, is, hey, we have the distribution for you. And so do the same thing you've been doing forever. Just, you know, use our platform and everything will work out. How strange is it to see them get in the game for you? And what do you think your competitive advantage is going to be? Because at the end of the day, you know, you have your software is good. I'll say it's the best new newsletter platform I've used. I have some complaints, but overall, very good. Um, and But you're still going against a you know, 200 million daily active user platform and then a 2.5 or close to 3 billion user platform in Facebook. So yeah, what's your reaction? And then how do you win?
2: Yeah. I mean, and these are, these are massive companies. They have all of the resources, all of the people, my reaction, you know, we talked about, did I expect this? Did I expect Substack to be where it is. I think I'd always hoped that Substack would be where it is. I'd always thought that we were onto something, that this new model could really work and could really create a new path for, you know, writers and readers on the Internet. And I think we're in the place in Substack's history where it is working. It's clearly working. It's clearly growing. There's hundreds of thousands of paying subscribers. There's people that are making all this money. And I think that you just, you don't get to be one of the great companies and change the world without Facebook and Twitter copying you along the way. And so while it's scary to have a giant company, you know, clone your products, which is it's both flattering, but also scary. Um, I do think like this- clone,
1: always, clone. Like on mobile view, you can't tell the difference. It was pretty, very brazen. It's
2: pretty, it's, it's, it was very flattering. Um,
1: I could think of some other words to use, but. Okay.
2: <laughs> it's brazen. And fra- I mean, this is, this is, this is what happens.
1: That's how it goes. Um, yeah.
2: And I, I think it just, again, I just see this as evidence of like the, the this model is working and this is the future. And they're, they're they, they are seeing people, as you say, leave the ecosystem and choose something better. And it's freaking them out. And, you know, I do think that they're, you know, <laughs> they're building a credible effort at it because they've chosen to be inspired by some good sources. Um, I think the thing that, I would point to for Twitter and Facebook is really just the core of what, the core of what Substack is, is this new model. It is a departure away from the the, uh, incentive game. It is true independence for writers where you own your list, you own your relationships, you know, you can always reach your people and you do sort of have this direct relationship. And for readers, it's this idea that like, you want to take back your mind. You want to stop spending all of your time getting sucked into these, Engagement machines, and I just don't think that that Twitter and Facebook can ever fully offer that. It's kind of like oil companies building like a solar thing. It's laudable, it's nice, but they're not going to like shut the pumps down.
1: You've said take back your mind a couple of times. Uh, Do you think that using, I mean, reading email newsletters and using social media are mutually exclusive? Because I'll be honest, I get a lot of links from Twitter. I get a lot of links when they come into my inbox. From Substack. So, what is this uh, that you're talking about?
2: Yeah, I don't think they're they're mutually exclusive at all. But I do think, like, to me, the zoomed out version of this is people used to get bored. People used to have this time where it's like, I have I have nothing to do, and I don't know. I need something to entertain me. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then the internet came along, and then smartphones came along, and social media came along, and now we've kind of like built these engagement machines that are designed to kind of like suck up every moment of your life. That it can possibly mm-hmm. get their hands on to serve you advertising. And then as a person who's a user of one of these things, your all of your life is getting sucked up by it. And your, your mm-hmm. finite resource is not your money, it's your attention. You only have so long to live, you have only so much you know, energy to spend reading things. And if you give all of your attention to this feed that's kind of working against you, it is kind of taking over your mind. And I think people are increasingly realizing this and feeling this, you know, the 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 fact that we've invented terminology like hate reading and doom scrolling is a pretty yeah. good tell that that people feel that something is wrong. And to me, the answer is not going to be like, well, stop reading things on your phone or like, don't just whatever, give up on this and eat your vegetables instead. I think the the right answer is give people a real alternative, a different way to connect with the writers they trust, with the culture at large, with the ideas they care about that's just not governed by the same underlying rules. That's not yep. trying to maximize their engagement, but is instead trying to like earn and keep their trust to the point where, where they'll spend the money. And so to me, it's like if people just at least some of the time, instead of clicking on Twitter, go, to their, go read their, their Substack stuff, they're kind of using that reading time more intentionally in a way that is better for their life.
0: Here's
1: my perspective, I, you know, having done this for a while. I think that, you know, it's really interesting to hear you frame this from the perspective of the reader or the consumer. I honestly think that it's more compelling to frame it from the perspective of the creator where the incentives that, that your platform creates right to the email again, built in audience. You don't have to worry about getting retweets to have people read your stuff. Therefore, you're going to be less just predisposed to write for the incentives that these platforms have. And the way to get retweets and the way to get shares on Facebook is to write for outrage and is yeah. to write to confirmation bias.
0: 100%. And if you
1: have these people, and that's why, you know, you said earlier in the, in the second half of the last half of the first segment that, you know, we're going to disagree. We agree, I think, 100% on this. When you When you move that relationship from, I need to stoke outrage or I need to say something dramatic or radical in order to get readers to, hey, I'm going to write the best thing I can and it's going to land in people's inboxes. Yep. And I don't need to worry about ramping it up because they trust me to tell them the truth and they're going to share it when they see me doing that you know, yep. versus the other way around. That changes the game. And then the second order effect is it changes the consumer experience.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. It's not just a, a different way to make money doing the same thing. It's when you're doing it this way, the kind of work you do is qualitatively different and better. And that readers appreciate that. And actually I, I think that's that's exactly right as well. I see the that writer framing and the reader framing of take your back your mind as two halves of the same coin. Right. Right? One only works because the other works. Right. If we gave you this great way to, to go independent and a tool to send emails and, and nobody cared and nobody was hungry for a different experience, it wouldn't work. You wouldn't have readers that were clamoring for this thing. But what what happens is yeah, you you get the better incentives, you can do the work that actually matters. And readers recognize it and it turns out are hungry for it because they want to take back their mind and because they want something better.
1: Is it weird for you that, uh, sorry to keep going back to Andreessen Horowitz, but they're such an interesting player in this drama. Is it weird for you that they're, you know, your funder, I imagine on your board and also on Facebook's board. And then the same thing happens with Clubhouse, right? Like Mark Andreessen works hard to build a Clubhouse up. Mark Zuckerberg comes and participates. Next thing you know, Clubhouse is cloned one to one on Facebook. Is that strange for you at all?
2: It's not that strange, I guess. I yeah, mean, I,
1: you're being very kind to them. I understand why. <laughs> I guess, you know, yeah. I mean, they, do, they are, do you want
2: me to? Do you want me to to trash them? Is that the? <laughs>
1: no, I want you to be honest.
2: I think it's going to sound it's going to sound sort of puffy and ridiculous. Like we've had a really fantastic experience with them. I mean, the fact that they're this is the firm that's helped build some of the world's great companies. Gives the the perspective they bring extra value.
0: Uh, I think
2: there's there's a lot of this. I think there is a lot of like general skepticism towards them that that's unfair and unwarranted in my
1: estimation. Well, that's that's I think that's where we disagree. Uh, So, um, but but uh, you know again VC is complicated. I get it. Without VC, we wouldn't have some of our uh, great companies and their engine of growth. there, there's other incentives there. So anyway, you, you've, uh, you've taken enough incoming on Andreessen Horowitz. So I'll, I'll leave you alone at this point. All right, uh, let's take another break. I want to talk to you a little bit more about the technology of Substack, uh, what this evolves into, and then maybe you can convince me to move from advertising to subscription. How does that sound?
2: Yes, yes. Okay,
1: Terrific. finally. All right, we'll be back here on the Big Technology Podcast for one final segment with Chris Best. He's the CEO of Substack.
0: From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. So come figure it out with me on the Hello Monday podcast. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Businessweek, Fortune, and Wired, And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets.
1: The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all.
0: Or NYU professor Scott Galloway on choosing a career.
1: I think the worst advice you can give a kid is follow your
0: passion. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort And your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday with me, Jesse Hempel, on the LinkedIn Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back here for one final segment on the Big Technology Podcast with Chris Best, CEO of Substack. Well, we've really gotten into it in the first two segments. Chris, I appreciate you rolling with it. Uh, so I want to talk to you a little bit about the technology side of your platform. Let me just go with my first big question, which is that there's so many email newsletters now. Uh, and I wonder what this evolves into, because is it going to just end up to an email inbox being a thing you do to complete tasks, kind of, and then most of the time read stuff? Or do we just end up in the day, de- you know, back in the days of the RSS reader where you subscribe to certain feeds and they end up in your reader. And I know Substack has built a reader of its own and I've used it. And I also know that like my Gmail at this point, the promotions tab is, is it's strange. It's gone from, you know, 5% off coupons for the gap to uh, just a stream of different newsletters coming in from Substack. And it does really feel like an it Sounds RSS like a major reader.
2: improvement to me.
1: Well, it depends on. Unless the you day. really Depend, like those gap it de- coupons. It depends who's writing. If Casey Newton's writing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, His his (laughs) newsletter is great. So what do you think?
2: Um, I mean, and and I should say that we do support RSS on Substack. So each Mm -hmm. Substack that is a newsletter is is also an RSS feed. I think you mentioned this with podcasting. I think the magic of email is that it's the last, one of the last places where you can have a direct relationship with somebody specifically on Mm. a phone and mobile, right? Like when when we switched from desktop to, to phones, The idea of browsing the web kind of mostly went away. People used to sit down and like type in their favorite websites and that was kind of you would surf the web. People do that in mobile a little bit, but not nearly as much. And so the real thing is you you need to be on the home screen. You need to have a little blue dot in order to really have a relationship with somebody in mobile on their phone where they're doing a lot of reading. And it turns out that you're not going to make an app per new thing and one of the few apps where you can have a direct relationship that people already have and they don't have to get a new app is their email inbox because you can send them an email, they'll get a notification, they'll click in and they'll read it. Another one of those, by the way, is their podcast player, right? And the podcast player works. That's why we have this direct yeah. connection. This podcast showed up in your thing. You went to the app, you thought, oh, that sounds nice. And there I go. And so I think the, the magic is not necessarily email per se, but it is that direct uh, connection unmediated by. Kind of the attention algorithm, where people opt into following you, and you can push them something onto their home screen. Like that's the magic,
1: not fully unmediated, because we still go through. And I know we've talked the whole time about there are no algorithms, yeah. Because you wrote in your last uh, post um, for writers, this means being. And you're talking about email versus social media. Back to this again for writers, this means being able to control their relationships with their audience instead of being mediated by fickle corporations whose algorithms decide what gets the most attention. And I'm like, I like that in theory, but Gmail, man, Yeah, the Gmail
2: we'll prim- the,
1: power. the you have the primary inbox, you have promotions and you have spam and, uh, deliver, you know, this deliverability stuff is, is a real, issue. make sure so, you drag is,
2: the big technology newsletter into your please. primary inbox. Yes, it will help know, the whole I,
1: world. I'm working on it. I'm working <laughs> on it. So, um, but yeah, I think that, um, but, but it is the, the closest, as close as you can get to a pure experience, which is interesting. The okay tech question number two: um, the the platforms you're competing against really good at um, helping publications get discovered. That's what their pitch is against you guys. Are you guys going to build in any discovery where, like, you know, I'm interested in Substacks, like I can do a better job browsing? There've been even hacks of your website that people have built that tries to show folks you know what newsletters they might want to subscribe to. Or are you going to leave it largely on? on the um, newsletter writer, I think the way that people in the industry talk about this is, are you going to be a Shopify for newsletter writers? Basically, you know, give them the tools and they go create and promote, et cetera, et cetera. You're just the, the bare bones technology. Or are you going to be an Amazon where like, you're going to end up drawing the interest and then um, be this crucial place for people to get discovered? What's your thought on that part?
2: Yeah. I do think that discovery is one of the most important things we can bring to writers, right? The things that you, you know, you want lots of features, but the thing that you really care about is like, are people finding and falling love, in love with my, my work? And for mm-hmm. readers too, like if, you know, if I already know a specific writer I love, that's great. But then finding the next one is is really important. Um, so I think it's it's both, we do some of this now, I think more than people expect, we're, we're driving subscriptions uh, for, for newsletters. And I do think it's a big area of They're opportunity like for us- yeah, there's the homepage. We have a, a few features that do this. Yeah, um, and there's and a lot of this happens. There's a lot of sort of cross discovery as well that happens organically. People link to each other. People put each other in their blog rolls. They do cross posts and guest posts, things like this. Um, so I think it is a major area uh, that we can do a lot of good in. I think the trick mm-hmm. is doing it in a way that doesn't again recreate the problems that we s- sought to avoid. Right? You don't want to have a you know, a discovery thing that ends up being gameable in some way that drives bad behavior, which is why I like revenue ranked leaderboards. It's kind of like, Hey, if you want to game this, go ahead, like try to get enough people to subscribe. Like that's kind of the, that's the right game to be
1: playing. Right. Speaking of leaderboards, it's a great segue, Chris, you just handed it to me perfectly. Uh, Are you afraid your top earning writers are going to leave? Because the chatter is, oh, this is a very expensive email platform. They pay ten percent of all email subscriptions to you and then another three percent, I suppose, to Stripe. So you know, once you get into a decent enough tier, you know, you're paying that to you guys. Then there's, you know, obviously the government and all that stuff. And then what's a creator walking away with and thank goodness we're not paying Apple also. But <laughs> um, there are, you know, there there are alternatives. There's Twitter's gonna be five yeah. percent. Facebook's gonna be free. So how are you gonna target that? Maybe you give benefits, maybe you lower that rate. Do you wanna break some news here about how you're gonna lower the rate at some point? Um, what's your thought?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, what's more, one of the key promises of Substack is that you can leave, right? We, we're not trying to lock you in. You know, that We think this is your thing, right? You have your email yeah. list, you have your payment relationships. We really, I think of this as us kind of burning the boats, to say like, we're not gonna force you to stay. And the only way that we're gonna get you to stay is by delivering enough value that it, it makes sense for you to stay. And the main ways that we can deliver value are by like handling all of the things outside of the writing and just making it automatically great. And this is especially important early on, like our pitch, the very early pitch I made to some of the writers on Substack, like maybe to you too, was we'll do everything for you except the hard part. Like if you do the writing, the platform's mm-hmm. kind of gonna take care of the rest. And that means having the software work. That means having support handled for you. That means, you know, a bunch of services that we're introducing along, like, help you find an editor, help you get your legal fees. Like, how do I do my design? Like, we sort of have, like, a whole suite of things that provide everything that you need. Right. And then the other, of course, is just growing faster because, you know, 10% is a fixed amount. But at the end of the day, if, my, if you're bending my growth rate over time, that actually becomes much more meaningful than any like fixed point fee. And so the features that Substack builds that lets you grow both sort of organically as people share, as people pass it around, as people link to each other, and through the platform where we're bringing you readers and we can say, hey, look over here, here's a bunch of people who only came because of the power of the Substack network. You know, if we can say, yeah, we're taking 10%, but here we brought you 20%, that just changes, changes the game entirely.
1: Yeah. No, I, I think it's, for. I'll, I'll say from my perspective, platform rules, because I don't have to pay anything for it, whereas I would with others. Um, but again, I'm ad supported. So once I turn on subscriptions, I'm paying you guys 10%, which there look, I go. wouldn't you mind. We're going to, we're going to, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Yeah.
2: I love the, I love that you know that you're going to turn on subscriptions and we're just arguing okay. over when you should.
1: Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about it because now we're into it. Uh, so I am going to turn on subscriptions. My, yes. so I, I, my idea has always been this is not a one or two year thing. So, first of all, I want to say, um, you guys, you, let's talk about those services you offer. You, you've paid some writers advances. Uh, you've given some writers healthcare subsidies, uh, done design and legal for them. Um, I haven't taken any of those except I had one of your lawyers look over my first story to make sure I didn't get sued, which I appreciate. Um, so those are definitely enticing benefits once those come in. Okay. But like I said, the, both this podcast and my newsletter, I don't look at these in a, in a time horizon of one or two years. This is what I want to be doing for the rest of my career. And so personally, my thought going free to start has been, let's two things. One is let's build an audience, right? Make sure that these are free and accessible to everyone and i don't get end up having some of the distribution uh hampered by a paywall and then two is i'm going to be honest here and i've talked about this i think on the show before but i'm concerned about potentially burning out at some point which happens to lots of creators where they create or or writers or whatever people using these tools use use your buzzword they create so much that they lose themselves in some way and at a certain point they they look up for error. They've promised paid subscribers that they would do three posts a week and they find themselves physically unable to do one post a week because they've worked themselves so hard. So what I've always thought is, um, I can do this with advertising. I know the ad industry and mm-hmm. build it to a point where two things happen. One is the audience is big enough where I feel okay, putting some stuff behind a paywall. Uh, and, and then two, you know, being able to maintain my, my mental sanity. Um, and the thing about being on your own is you can just keep working and no one will tell you to stop.
2: Yeah. Especially if you're in lockdown,
1: especially if you're in lockdown. So th- those are my perspective, but I, I do think that eventually the time will come to turn on these subscriptions. Well, let me, And let me I guess give the you, timing, the timing question is yeah. what we'll talk about. Let me give so you the ahead.
2: pitch that I would give you if, if you were, if we were just talking about, about yeah. this as, as what's, what's the right. thing, Right. right? I think there's a there's a, a misconception, and we thought this early on too. This idea that if I turn on paid, it's going to slow my growth. Mm-hmm. Um, where it's like, you know, I just need to like get as many people as possible, and then I'll turn on paid, and then off I go. And yeah. we've just empirically seen over and over again that that doesn't happen. And in fact, a lot of the time when people turn on paid, their growth actually accelerates if they do it right. And the advice that we give people, by the way, in general on Substack is when you have a paid thing take your best and most accessible stuff, the thing that you think is you know, changing that the world, free. you want the biggest reader, yeah. make that free. And the inside baseball stuff, you, know, you can use the paid audience almost as like an audience of people that have really opted in to get your, you know, that mm-hmm. really care. And so if you got something that's like, oh man, only the people that really love me would ever want to read this. I don't know if I want to send an email to everybody. You have kind of like the perfect audience to hit with that stuff, to do like discussion things, to spend time with, to get ideas for stuff. I think that model works really well the way, the the advice i give people now is oh, don't I, turn on paid okay yeah.
1: no oh you go ahead i'm actually kind of curious what your advice is now my advice is, debating you.
2: is is yeah. don't turn on paid until you have kind of like you know what in in a startup you would call product market fit where you've kind of figured out your editorial strategy where people are like people are continuing to open it week after week where it's kind of growing readership if you're in a place where you're still kind of figuring out what the pitch of the thing is then don't turn on paid because it just makes it It locks you in, right? It keeps you, it keeps you, uh, it makes it hard to be like, oh, actually, like, I kind of want to take a different angle on this. Yeah. If you figured out the angle and it's working and you're just trying to grow it, I think you can turn on paid and I think it works really well.
1: Yeah, I would say, so here's my counterpoint I was going to give. I think people do grow when they turn on paid because they send more emails. And that's, you know, we've talked to, well, not you and I, but some people will talk about how the data always tells you to send more emails. (laughs) And so, again, that goes to the second part of the thing. I'll do it eventually. But I also think that advertising, so I actually started out in the ad industry, kind of disdainful of advertising. But I do think that advertising can play a really good role in supporting content. Uh, We've done two breaks in this conversation. No one was killed because of it. And it will help support the podcast. Um, as cool, far as I cool. know, I don't know if, it, if we did programmatic ads, I don't take any responsibility for what showed up there. I'll yeah. um, we'll agree to disagree. Yeah. I just
2: hate, I hate podcast ads so much. I just, um, but man. you
1: like, but you like podcasts though.
2: I like podcasts. i happy to, I'm happy to pay for them.
1: Okay. Yeah. So that's another um, eventuality that could happen. And
2: I think, I think the yep. burnout thing is real. And I, the thing mm-hmm. that I would I suggest and that
1: I'm a year, think, by the way, I'm a year plus into this. I feel energized. Yeah. I'm going to take August off, you know, post COVID post book type of, recharge. Um, the podcast, by the way, listeners podcast will go on. I'm going to record four, and then we'll keep rolling it. Um, but I, I I will say I've definitely spoken to people who've given up, you know, it's like podcasts. The most podcasts don't end up going to their third episode. I imagine you guys have, I'm kind of curious what your data is. Do most Substack newsletters go to their third newsletter?
2: It's like the classic, I think of this as in like the heyday of blogging. It's like, this is my new blog. It's awesome. I'm going to post here every yeah. week. Second post three months later. Oh yeah. man, I haven't, I haven't been doing it, but I'm really going to start now. No yes. three posts.
1: That's it. Most newsletters also, I mean, not most, but a lot of newsletters I've seen spend uh, almost every edition writing to subscribers about why they haven't written. And I'm just like, okay, I get it. Just, uh, you know, let's go yeah. to the, let's, let's go to the videotape here of people. So yeah.
2: I think the thing to do is to set the expectation up front. Your readers yeah. don't want you to burn out. They're not. Mm. They're not sitting here being like, "If I don't get a million emails, I'm going to be super disappointed." You know, you're yeah. paying. You're paying for the signal, not not the like, you know, overall volume of content. And if you say, "I'm going to take a healthy amount of breaks," and that's part of how I'm going to serve you, and if you mm-hmm. pay, like, assume that I'm going to go on vacation. That's totally fair. People don't look. People don't look at that and be like what do you mean you took two weeks off in the summer to do something like you monster? It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to yeah. do. And I, I encourage it. And I, I do think there are people who don't, and it it doesn't end up helping them in the long run because right. you say it, 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 if you get burned Crushes out, you're them. not going to help anyone. Yeah.
1: The keyboard becomes a very daunting thing to look at. Okay. You didn't really answer the question I asked about whether you were worried if some of your top earners will leave and do their own thing. Are you, I know that you said our value proposition is that we can help them grow but talk about your emotions chris let's let's get into this yeah you, i mean are you worried
2: of course i'm worried and this is kind <laughs> of the i, I we've de- we've designed the business of substack to put this pressure on ourselves right we we make it explicit that people are allowed to leave anytime it's one of our core promises it's your audience right we've got a fee that makes the business sustainable if you're writing on substack you never have to wonder like oh, what is the business model? Are they going to turn around sometime in the future and like do something? Do they, are are they, are they their interests uncoupled from mine? No, we have a fee that aligns our interests. We want you to make way more money because then mm. we make way more money and that you know that we're, you know exactly how we're incentivized. You know, the same way that the reader gets aligned with the writer, the we are aligned with, with uh, you know, the, the writer gets aligned with Substack. We want you to win for all these reasons. And I think it just puts the right pressure on us, right? It puts the pressure on us that we have to show that value, that we have to show you you know, here's all of the ways that we're helping you. And so I think it lights a fire under us as a company to make the platform that can keep the great writers, not because they're stuck, not because they're forced to use our weird payment infrastructure, but because it's the best place to be. And I think actually like counterintuitively in the long run by like exposing ourselves in that, you know, being vulnerable in that
1: way, it's actually like a jujitsu move that helps. It's good. I agree. I think it's a good move. And, uh, and it seems like it's working. You've had most of the people stay. It seems like your revenue is growing pretty well. So you don't have to raise again, do you? No. You're in good shape. Uh, I think I'm going to, uh, this has been a very inspiring uh, conversation. I think I'm going to start a publication that's going to be all about the bad things that people are saying online and why they should be removed. And uh, I'll call it the Thought Police. And we'll do $5 a month. And, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see you, you how many can, people how you can many people tweet, get excited for yeah, that. You can tweet fund the thought police. <laughs> Good luck with it. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, they wanted to ask. Some people wanted me to ask you about content moderation. You guys have talked about that ad nauseum. Um, you're not tight. Do Do you have a head of policy now? Or are you taking any newsletters down? I know there's been one that's been removed for some weird for like trying to point someone to a different payment service. Uh, but what's, yeah. what's your situation I mean, on we, that?
2: We take like thousands of newsletters down mostly really? because it's spam. Like the number oh, one problem okay. we have is people yeah, that are like, yeah. I, I want to know. Fi-
1: yeah. I want to follow up, um, but th- that will be the last question. But yeah, um, sorry, there's, go ahead.
2: There's there's lots of problems. Um, it is a major area of the company. You know, I think the thing I would say, we took, covered this a little bit, but we wrote a, an in-depth blog post about our philosophy of content yeah. moderation, the highlight of which is basically we believe strongly in the freedom of, of the press. We think that letting, putting writers and readers in charge uh, of what they say is is. Good, even though even though there are trade offs, we think it's it's good, it's important, it's yeah. necessary for society. That's where we as a company come down, and you know we do we do acknowledge that some moderation is necessary. I don't think that we can say we're going to like cover our eyes and never look at anything. Um, I don't think that that works in practice. I don't think that's the way to actually further the ideals of a free press. But we do yeah. kind of that is the position that we come from. We just care deeply about it.
1: Great. So you're not going to take me down for doing ads and not subscription.
2: Not unless you do that thoughtfully, police one. No, I'm just kidding. That would be fine too,
1: of course. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, all right, last question for you. You're a free email service, sensibly, if people are um, you know, not doing ads. So you have lots of spam newsletters on there. And I imagine the email service providers are looking at Substack as a domain and saying, are these trustworthy newsletters? Or are they not? And regardless of the fact that you have some high quality folks and some spammers on, on here uh, on the platform, they will treat some of the domains the same. And then start sending some of the good Substack newsletters to spam. I know Casey Newton yeah. just tweeted that his dad couldn't find his newsletter. And he said, check your spam folder. And his dad said, I want a refund In a text message. <laughs> and I've had friends saying, Hey, Alex, what happened? You took the last couple of weeks off and it turned out it was in their spam folders. So yeah. obviously we talked about this a bunch already. And again, I'll conclude here, but, um, Deliverability, getting emails into inboxes is the most important thing an email platform can do, at least in my opinion. So uh, <laughs> so how do you address that issue?
2: Yeah, no, it's a hugely important issue for us, as you say. And I actually think this is one of the great strengths of Substack compared to some of the other more general email sending services that do a lot of email marketing. Like, So putting aside spammers for a second... Uh, if you just have normal Substack users that are sending uh, emails to people, our support volume. By far, there are more people saying, "Hey, I wanted this newsletter and I was really excited to read it, and I was missing it." That that the number of people that have that problem dwarfs the number of people who have the problem of like, "Geez, I got this thing and it was spam and it was annoying." And uh-huh. virtually no email newsletter email service provider has this problem where you're sending yeah. a large volume of email that people actually really want and care about and are happy to get and will drag into their inbox because it's something they want. And so kind of like structurally when Substack is used correctly, we're actually one of the best, we're in the best position of all of the email people because that we people actually want these stupid emails. We're not, we're not powering the 5% off the gap that you didn't think you signed up for or whatever thing. Yeah. It does mean that we have to be absolutely ruthless about protecting the service from people that try to send, Mm -hmm. like abuse it and, and use it for unwanted emails. There's a lot of like smart people at Substack that work extensively on that problem. And it's, you know, it's a key to the business for sure.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, I have to say, uh, when we first met in that apartment, uh, I didn't think we would be talking in this situation where I would be basing my career on your platform and you would be on your way to unicorn status, but here we are. It's been really a wild ride. It's uh, been great to speak with you about not only like the nuts and bolts of the technology and stuff like that, but really the impact that the platform is going to have on society and the fact that you're thinking about this thoughtfully is, is pretty cool. So thank you for joining and speaking with me you know for quite some time about all these different issues and i'm sure everybody that's listened to this point has gotten a lot out of it and i'm sure anyone who's dropped off about a half hour and also got a lot out of it so <laughs> i appreciate it chris thank you yeah well thank you
2: for having me thank you for being on substack don't forget to turn on paid subscriptions
1: i won't forget i haven't forgotten it will just it will take some time <laughs> all right but i'll do it i'll do it you have my word okay everybody well thank you again for listening thanks chris best for being here taking some time out of his very busy day uh, in startup life to uh, chat with us here on the Big Technology Podcast. Pleasure coming at you as always. Thank you, Nick Watney, our editor, uh, our fearless editor who turns these things around extremely quickly. Red Circle for hosting and selling the ads. Kind of maybe think of them as the substack of podcasts, but they like advertising. So maybe we get you guys in a cage match or something like that and figure it all out. And once again, thanks to you, the listener. Couldn't do this without you. Appreciate you being here with us again. And we'll see you next Wednesday on the Big Technology Podcast.